This episode is brought to you by Patreon, specifically the Comic Pop Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash comic pop and find out more about how you can keep the lights on here at Comic Pop. And don't worry, we've got plenty of fun rewards, including early access to videos and weekly updates about what's happening here at the studio. That's patreon.com slash comic pop. All right, let's get on with the show now. Sweeping down upon the underworld to smash gangland comes the friend of the unfortunate, enemy of criminals. Mysterious, all-powerful character, a problem to the police, but a crusade of the law. Now, uh, we are here today to talk about uh, your career, to talk about writing. Uh, we're also here to promote a little bit, uh, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, because you are uh, working on this series for Valiant Comics, uh, Rye, which has been, I think we're on issue five now, right? Yes, we managed to get five out before uh, before the world changed and yes uh, we ended up fighting giant mutated scorpions in the wasteland of our civilization yeah. yes i think i'd take scorpions at this point yeah yeah <laughs> actually it would be a, be a refreshing change to be honest <laughs> right right and yet completely unsurprising yeah oh no not at all yeah uh so yeah man um big admirer of your work uh, i'm sure that our viewers at home are uh have their own particular favorite abnet writing um so before we jump into it, I just wanted to say, uh, what um, what attracted you to the Rye project versus any other project that you could be working on at this po- at this moment in your, in your career? Well, obviously, it was uh, it was enormous wads of money. Really, no, it was it was. It- <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was two things, and the first thing is the nicest thing that can happen to a freelancer, which was I was invited to do it. I was sitting there minding my own business one day, and I just got an email from Lisa, the, the editor, saying, "Would you be interested in doing this?" And I went, "That sounds very very cool indeed." And so we started to have conversations. And so you know, when you get invited to do something, it's always very nice indeed. Um, but also, I have worked for Valiant uh, long ago in in its previous incarnation so I sort of was vaguely familiar with the the, the core characters um, and what I really like about the Valiant universe is the fact that it is a universe it is it is a properly realized whole world um, uh, that works in a very different way to to mentioning no names but the big the big traditional superhero universes of which there are two and they you know they're wonderful wonderful places to write in don't get me wrong I love them, but they they tend to they tend to work on the same kind of operatic scale. Valiant is very much very different. It is it has superheroes, but they are less obviously the costume type. There's a kind of realistic. I hate the word realistic. It's more sort of an authentic edge to them. I can believe in them. Um, uh, really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I like Valiant's approach to storytelling. So so it was like oh a chance to work to Val- for Valiant again. That would be nice. So again, two plus points immediately going into it, and and. Uh, sh- Lyster had come to me really because of, uh, I guess, my my uh, my track record. Some might say police form sheet uh, for writing cosmic science fiction stuff. Obviously, do that a lot for Marvel, DC, um, and and for 2008 over here. So exactly. So, uh, so yes, I do like I do like my superheroes with a hint of sci-fi to them, and. Um, uh, so that's what she come come to me for, and there seemed vast potential in this particular thing. So the the idea of Rai being this sort of semi synthetic warrior, it, it, sort of a thousand or so years in the future, two thousand or so years in the future, yeah. with, with all sorts of uh, uh, interesting things, and and also a legacy of continuity to build on, which is always nice to be able to yes. connect it to that. But then open it out because she has said this story will take place 
on a on a futuristic Earth, which we've said a lot about but never really properly shown in any great detail. So it is both locked into a continuity, which I always enjoy that. I love walking into somebody else's universe and seeing what sort of story I can tell there. But at the same time, there was plenty to explore. And, and that's one of the things we did in the first few issues, to try and imagine as much as possible to go, this is the world we're playing with. So it was a win, 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 win all the way across. Yeah. And then once I started working on, on Rye, they said, actually, the, the story that sets this up is a, an event book called Fallen World. Do you fancy writing that as well? So I sort of retroactively went back and wrote that to lead into Rye, which was very useful because it meant I could lay my own sort of foundation for where it went. Sure. Um, so that was it. Yes, that's what attracted me to. I think I would have been. <laughs> I, it's the sort of thing I'd have pitched for anyway because it's the sort of thing that appeals to me. But uh, to have a, a door open and say, "What about this?" and you go, "Absolutely, I'm in." So yeah. No, and and it is it is a fascinating story. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the the visuals are spectacular. The wow. characters are engaging. Like it's it's a genuinely cool book to read. Uh, I loved the point you made, and I wanted to jump in on this because it, it, it dovetails nicely into the rest of the conversation. Um, the fact that you said you actually enjoy working within continuity. There's so many creators out there who are like, yeah, continuity, it, it drives me crazy. I hate having to do all the research. But like, if you go back, and I'm talking more to the viewer than you necessarily, but like, the, if you go back and look at Mr. Abnett's career, <clears throat> you can see... You you borrow now I'm talking to you 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 borrow <laughs> so much from um from from the the history like you you clearly do the work like you put in the legwork you understand where the world like what world these characters live in and what's happened to them and who might be affected uh, not hmm. only by the protagonist but who has affected the protagonist within your story itself and I, I think that's kind of like unique among celebrated authors like yourself I, I i just i love the fact that you actually enjoy working with incarnate or at least yeah, that you, yeah i really do i I, uh, I i to be fair i enjoy both and when i get to work on a and a, a, you know i work when i'm working for 2008 for instance almost every strip i've written there i've created so it's made out of whole cloth it may or may not have anything to do with anything else right so i mean you know, continuity and world building is mine to do and i do that from time to time on on other books because there is a genuine pleasure obviously in creating your own thing Sure. Uh, I also grew up reading, particularly Marvel, in you know the, when I was a kid, uh, and I loved I loved the sense that was there even then that they all shared the, the, a, a universe, and if something happened over here, it might you know be important over here, and I've always enjoyed that, and and I think that that's a pleasure that I got as a reader then. I think it's a pleasure that readers get now. It explains, for instance, I, I think you know the, the the one of the key reasons the phenomenon of the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe is because there is a sense of of a connection. It's not just they're all happening in the same place. There is a genuine sense of connection on both a macro and micro level. Yeah. And when you pay attention to that, it is rewarding. It's rewarding for a creator and it's rewarding for um, the viewer or reader or whatever. So I, I don't hate it. I will happily do either, but I, I know there are some people who go, oh gosh, if it's not my story or I'm too constrained. And by the way, it can drive you absolutely mad. There have been occasions, you know, in you know, in otherwise very happy circumstances, working for the big two, working with many companies, where yeah. where the where you're participating in a crossover, or you're just writing a book that's suddenly been drastically affected by the, the what something else is do, doing, uh, and you can end up going bananas about it and saying very rude things about people. Um, but even so, but that's also part of the challenge. It's part of the. I always got the impression that back in the early, late 60s, early 70s, for instance, the people who worked in the Marvel bullpen, as an example, were kind of like soldiers in the trenches. 
whoever needed to do what was needed to do next, they would do it. You know, I need a cover. Somebody needs to write the next issue of this because I can't. Oh, I'll do it. Okay. And, and I think that's, that's part of the kind of collective team spirit of comics because it is a team sport. You're there with a, working with an artist, an inker, letterer, colorist, you know, editor. It is a team sport. So to, 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 to have that, extend that team sport into the sort of the way that the publishing house works and how different books work alongside each other, I think yeah. it's fun. So I've always been willing to do that. I've actually always sort of put my hand up and said, I will happily write the Phil issue that, you know, it's not, it's not going to be the most, uh, uh, you know, sort of illustrious thing for me to write an issue or two between famous runs by this person before setting, you know, but it's a great thing to do. And it's writing comics. It is, it's, it's, you know, it's an opportunity to write characters. One of the reasons I've, I've played with so many different characters over the years, I think is, is that willingness to just to dip in and say, what can I do with this? I also started, God, I'm talking a lot. I also started um, <laughs> my career back in the uh, 1550s. No, a long time ago, uh, yeah. my first job was uh, uh, at Marvel UK's div division in London yeah. when I was a, a junior editor. And almost everything we published in the UK was, was licensed material. So I spent a long time working on uh, the real Ghostbusters and, and I mean, Action Force and Thundercats and Transformers and, and Care Bears and Thomas the Tank Engine and all these licensed products. Yeah. And, and I, so that was my first experience of actually both editing and writing professionally. And I learned pretty fast that the way you got the job done efficiently was to make sure you didn't break the toys and break the rules. You'd look at the style guide that the licensing company had sent to you and you understood what sort of story they wanted and therefore it gave you a sort of target to aim at. And to me, it was the, it was the, the trick wasn't like, what sort of story can I knock off in this comparatively limited space? It's like, what's the best story I can tell that will hit that target? Right. And that I think was fundamentally important uh, uh, to me as a writer, because I sort of then brought that, that with me when you go to much, you know, the Marvel universe, for instance, or the DC universe is a much, much bigger place. Uh, where there is much more room for the variety of um, uh, exploration in terms of story. Nevertheless, there are still these rules. There are still things that could happen and definitely wouldn't happen. Right. Uh, and I think that training really sort of stood me in good stead for that, that I wasn't going, oh, I'm getting frustrated, I can't do this thing. Uh, whereas, in fact, actually, it was getting much more excited about finding the thing that I could do. That applies to Valiant, and that applies to the other things I do when I'm, when I'm wearing my other hat as a, uh, as a novelist and writing for, say, the Warhammer universe. Exactly. Who, you know, I, I, I have, in Warhammer, I've sort of chiseled out my own little corner of the Warhammer universe where I sort of set the rules. So I've done vast amounts of world building, nevertheless, it's someone else's universe, and there are there are ultimate cosmological rules that I have to obey. And I've ne never felt. Uh, I think you only feel trapped if you decide you're trapped. Right. Wow. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> for a Monday afternoon. Yeah. Hey, we really we really got deep here. That was um, kind of a metaphorical comment on the whole uh, lockdown quarantine thing. Clearly. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but we are trapped though. <laughs> yeah, we are trapped. No, completely trapped. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because. I've always maintained, and I think that and I'm not the only one to say this, but like the fact that editorial mandate seems to be this thing that everybody's railing against, and because everyone needs a suit to be upset with or to have a, to have a sure. villain to fight. But I think that editorial restraint is a wonderful tool to allow artists to be more adaptive and creative. It kind of yeah. gives them the restrictions that they need to go. Oh, I can't, I only have this box. What am I? How can I get? How can I creatively get out of the box? You know, yeah. that kind of thing, as opposed to being like, do whatever you want. It's like being in school and them handing you your essay and being like, you can write whatever you want. Yeah. And you're like, well, what the hell? The, the, the universe is vast. How do I start? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. The, I, the only times I've, I've sort of created my own things really is when I've had an idea and thought, oh, that will be a thing and I can't fit it somewhere, so I'm going to have to create my own thing. Right. But somebody says, do anything you want, I think you spend the first sort of week sitting there going, what is the thing I want to do and what? Yeah. I know. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, there's too much freedom. And I, th I think, um, yeah, there are, there are occasions where you'll get, you'll get literal logistical problems in a, in a, in a company-wide line where someone forgets to tell somebody that something is happening or, you know, and then you, and there's a whole knock-on effect and that can be disastrous. I, that, that, it was actually very, very funny and I won't go into the details, but, but uh, two years ago, I've been working with DC a lot, something happened at DC where one book was doing something uh, thinking that everybody knew what they were doing and nobody <laughs> did. And at, a, at an editorial retreat with everyone present, all the writers, we were all getting up and standing up in turn to say what we were doing in our book. And, and, and uh, uh, I won't mention his name, but it was Tom King, stood up and said, I'm doing this. And, and I'm not sure how much swearing I'm allowed to do on this. Oh, book. yeah, no, you're there fine. Was, there was a, there was like, there was, there was, you could almost see the shockwaves going out across the room as editors going, you're doing what? And me and the writers of several other books that had characters in common. Yes. Went, yeah. hey, no, what? Uh, and it was just, but, but once we realized that it was genuinely a mistake, oh, not, you know, it was an oversight. We hadn't been told, he thought we'd been told, he thought it was all, we just sat at the bar and we worked out how to do it. And actually it meant that all the things I was doing in my book, um, I, I literally couldn't do. So I decided <laughs> I would do them anyway, but I would turn them on the head. I literally inverted the entire story to, to, for it being about, rather than it hanging on a particular character, it was like, what happens if this character isn't here? It's still the same story, but yeah. it was like, oh my God, this character isn't around and he should be really, and he should have been really, because it was a story about him, but I'd removed him. And actually it worked, oddly, it sort of worked better. So you, you adapt it, you find ways of solving your problems, and it can be very funny. Or, or they let you get on with this stuff. I mean. Um, when I uh, when I was working on Guardians of the Galaxy, yep. uh, Marvel, um, a staggeringly long time ago that was as well. But uh, but I simply the characters I wanted to use were the ones that I remembered reading as a kid in the UK. There was a lot of reprint stuff over here, and so it was characters like Star Lord and, and Rocket Raccoon, who I liked, and I knew that they had never really been massively successful. They were sort of the forgotten toys down the back of the toy box, yep. they, you know, um, and and I, what I tr wanted to do was to, to, to sort of find the potential in them, mainly by combining them, like putting Rocket and Groot together and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, 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 and for, a, for, a, for a brief sort of, I don't know, six months to a year on that book, it was, it was just wonderful because Marvel honestly didn't care what I did because as far as they were concerned, these toys were already broken. Yes. So I think there was an enormous amount of freedom in, in doing storylines that if it, I've been writing, you know, a... a a major character like, I don't know, Spider-Man or Iron Man or something like that, I simply wouldn't have done because you, you can't do that with something that's, that's established. It's too high profile. Because there were no, sort of in that little corner of the universe, there were no rules. I sort of made my own. And, and Joe Quesada was not a fan of um, cosmic stories. He didn't understand why people like cosmic stories. So he would constantly say, I just don't get it. But carry on doing it. You just keep doing it. But I don't get it. And, 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 and I think that's one of the reasons, the, the, you know, to the extent that it worked, it worked simply because because there was an opportunity to, to kind of play around and nobody, you know, if I if I suddenly went, oh, I've broken this one, nobody was going to go, what have you done? You've just destroyed a multi-million pound franchise. Right. It's like, oh, I'll just put it back in the toy box, no one will notice. So, so yeah, you can, you can, I think, I think you know, you, being part of a big universe uh, is great because there is an enormous amount of, of, of 
story resonance that you can get out of that. The fact that you can reflect events in other books or other books can re reflect the events in your book. Um, and the trick is, I suppose, is in a sneaky way, is also to, to build your own bubble where if you need to, you can ignore the outside and you can stick to your story and, and, and you know, just, just concentrate on that. So it's, it, there's, there's all sorts of cunning little techniques behind the scenes that the reader's not necessarily aware of, where you kind of like, I'm going to really pay attention to that because that's important, but I'm going to just ignore that that's happening because I don't need to know that. Right, right. Or they're subconsciously aware of it. Like, it oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Playing to your Guardians and Annihilation event, that was a whole thing that, could upturn the galaxy yet at that tumultuous time in the Marvel universe, you know, you had civil war and yet you were able yeah. to do so much with yeah, yeah. so much that again, didn't have any effect on what clearly the, 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 the big wigs over there were more focused on. Yeah. And, and, and that's right. Because I mean, in the Marvel universe, earth is the important place because that's exactly. that actually is the, you know, prime real estate we where all the characters are that's the bit that really matters yeah but space doesn't matter because it's quite hard to, to identify with you know some mumble jumble planet out in the middle of nowhere you know sort of all this kind of stuff you so so you we could play around with all sorts of different things and 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 do the sort of titanic scale things that you couldn't do on earth without breaking earth right. uh which which was very very useful and and to me um, annihilation which keith giffen masterminded the first one of those that was great because we could we could work on that kind of Star Wars in scale, which was fantastic. But yeah. to me, the, the moment I realised that, that that something was happening that um, that made a big difference is having done the the, the Nova miniseries for the first Annihilation, which was beautifully drawn and it was a good story and people really liked it and yeah. blah 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 blah. Thing was a success. But then they <laughs> said we're gonna we want to launch a Nova ongoing, and in the first couple of issues, I I had him return to Earth and interact with the Earth heroes. Yes. And that was the, to me, that was the turning point that made everybody go, wait a minute, this is really, really cool. Because he, as a character, had changed. Yeah. And he had be, he basically been aware that he was a, he was a slightly crap third-rate Marvel hero. But he was returning to uh, Earth, you know, sort of as powerful as anybody, and with that recognition of having done something. And you had characters like Iron Man reacting to him, going, wait a minute, you're not the Nova that I thought you... And suddenly what the reader and the audiences were thinking about Nova, the comic book character, he was thinking about himself in the book and there was a point of recognition. And, and taking him back to Earth and showing him side by side with that made the difference in terms, and from that point on, it was, you know, it sort of, sort of really, really began to take off. So, so yeah, you, 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 I think there's, there's the, you know, you can go out into space or into, into the, the realms of fantasy to do big things and they, are, they can be huge and still be separate from Earth but when you go back to Earth, it allows you to, to focus on who that person is and, 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 and where their place is now in the, in the firmament. It's funny because apropos of the Nova series, when he goes to Earth, you know, you're so excited because he's finally going to, you're going to show the change this character has gone through. And the second he's there, you want him to leave immediately. You're like, oh, I don't want him <laughs> anywhere near this place. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it's, it's, he's, it's like he's outgrown it. Yes. And I yeah, think yeah, that... Yeah. I think that that growth and that change in that character is so rare, you know, within the confines of that kind of universe um, to have a character actually go through a significant arc and actually shift and grow and change and, and, and advance um, that readers were so shocked by it, uh, maybe subconsciously yeah. that it's why people love Richard Ryder so much. It's like, it's a testament to that series and it's, it's, it's why people keep like you, you know, 10 years later, people are still like, Hey, 
where when are we going to get Richard Rider? When are we going to get more Richard yeah, Rider yeah, series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's it without the growth they wouldn't care, but it's all there. I think so. I think I think that applies across the board. Is 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 that is that if you if you move from the very big to the very small, if you go from space to earth or, or from the past to the future or any of those kind of transitions yeah. that happens all the time in comics, um, uh, it's always interesting to see what has changed whilst you've been away, either in the things that you left behind or indeed in you, the character, when coming back to that. And I think that even with even with the Valiant stuff, I mean, obviously with, with, with Rye, we are building this new world. Yeah. Uh, uh, but one of the things that I've tried quite carefully to do is to... Uh, is to place within it elements that are recognizably the Valiant universe, but they have changed since you last saw them, which was the best part of two millennia ago. And I think that works really, really well. It's not, it's not a sort of deliberately kind of what if or, you know, sort of futuristic version. It's just like, this is where this has ended up and it might not be quite what you're expecting. And I think that's that sort of, you can, you can create the most fanciful and vividly fantastical world but if you put enough those few little reminders touchstones of of things that are familiar uh it grounds the reader and makes them identify with that world and those characters even more absolutely i, I think it also raises the stakes it gives them something to go to go to, to acclimate themselves and say oh like this is affecting the world i'm familiar with yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are uh, interested in this Rye series and you want to see it progress, you need to pre-order the book. If you want yeah, so to it's see worth, this book, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we went into into hiatus, obviously, after five issues. I have to say, and I, I, people say that like, this sort of thing in, in podcasts and interviews all the time, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway because I really mean it. I love this book. Uh, you know, it was a very n- nice thing to be invited to do. And, and, and as ever, I tried to do my best possible jo- job with it. But I have come to love this book so much. I love writing it. I think the characters are great. Uh, Juanjo, the artist, is, is just doing the most unbelievably good work, yes. which then drives me to, 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 to sort of strive harder with the scripts. It's, it's all very well saying, I'll create a fantastical world, and I could come up with great ideas, and, and that, that script could go to a great artist, but but if you know it could end up looking flat or or, or having that sense you know why, the, the reader going why do I really care oh, it's an amazing city or whatever you know fantastic. sure so many times before but um, but he really gets it he kind of bought into it alongside me and he's got this extraordinary not only is his storytelling great so there's the most amazing choreography of fights and then ca- character acting and stuff like that but this amazing sense of authentic detail which is the thing that just blew me away the first time I saw his pages which means that when I invent something and then he finesses it and visualizes it it seems real completely real so even the most mundane and not boring but the most mundane element of the world is quite fascinating to look at so it means that my storytelling can be can be have a much greater range of mood because it doesn't not everything has to be loud and explosive all the time to capture attention he can do something very quiet and and it'd be completely captivating because you you completely believe this is a real world and that to me is the clincher so so I, like i said i love this book uh i hope people continue to read it uh but and i hope my stories are good enough but the most important thing is you, people should be looking at this because of the quality they are and as you said because of the hiatus we've got five issues out issue six is out in august uh and therefore it needs to be pre-ordered through your comic shop now to, if you want to get it and we hope people will because we hope we can get everybody to get back on the train having got them off the train but at the same time the trade paperback of the first five issues is at the same time so you can pre-order that as well 
and you get your instant catch up and it's worth it because the, just as I say, it, it's, it, it looks so gorgeous and it's a perfect primer for where we go in, in issue six, which is the start of a new arc. It is. And I, I hope you don't mind my saying, uh, because of my access, I was able to have a peek at issue six. And I can <laughs> say it is, it, if, if, you, if you didn't think it got wild enough, it gets more wild yeah. <laughs> uh, check it out but pre-ordering yeah. is, is is a is a frustrating and fascinating thing because like you you know if you want a movie to do well you go see it opening day if you want a song to do well you pick it up when it's available with a comic book if you want it to do well you need to call your local comic book store yes and tell them you would like it have them reserve a copy for you because they yes, have to yes. pre-order the like the, 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 the amount of legwork for comics successes is you know, comparatively speaking, almost like too much. Because yeah, it, it, it is a hugely complicated business, really, and uh, it, it is. And there's there, there is no shortcut because because the comics industry is what the comics industry is. It's the way it's evolved. It is it is magnificently a you know a sort of a global network of in, basically independent retailers. Yeah. Uh, and and the only way to get them in line is to make the distribution work. Well, sort of in a kind of uniform way which means advance notice otherwise we get you know 47 million copies of something that nobody wants to read and then no copies at all of something that people really do want to read so it's the only way to to make sure and and, and that is true month to month under the best of circumstances right. we've just gone through something that is really quite unusual circumstances and as i said it's like all the all the clocks have stopped all the trains have stopped all the buses have stopped running in order to get them rolling again we really need to sort of give them a little shove to get the engines going so so it, where I'd normally say pop into your comic shop and get them to, 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 to reserve your copy or pick up a copy or maybe order it from whatever. Right now it's like, no, go and get this now because this is a great opportunity to keep it. Cause a lot of books I think are just going to die yes. because nobody has been, you know, nobody will be looking at them, but good, good and bad, big selling books. They're just going to disappear. And some of the shops are going to do that too. So, so I think, I think if you are a comics fan of Valiant, of, of Rye, of anything, if you're a comics fan, uh, and you want to make sure that things keep rolling along and, and improve, um, then there are active things you can do. And the simplest thing to do is to have a look at what's, what's going to be out there soon. Contact your local comic shop, order some stuff up, you know, get back into the swing of things. Because uh, every company, in very different ways, but every company is trying to do its best to get their books to you somehow. Yes. Um, and that's, and, and it, like I said, it would just be a terrible, terrible shame for the, so many of these good things. And it's usually, it's going to be the less well-known things. It's not going to be the, the, the mainstay characters because the mainstay characters will survive because they have uh, an iconic life beyond the comics themselves. But it is things like Rye that, you know, the, 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 you know I, hope for, I hope a good comic that people are going to go, well, I've never heard of it, so why would I even go, you know? And, and that's, and that's going to be the case with so many hundreds of really great comics that, uh, yeah. that, that need the support. Well, and, the, and, and if you want books like those, yeah. you know, because the, 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 while the burden of responsibility is on the reader to know the industry enough to pre-order their books and keep them alive, the market and the publishers are aware of trends and are monitoring it. And so when a book does poorly, they can then add that to their lexicon where they're like, this is a book that has this criteria that did not succeed and therefore we're not going to make more books like yeah, that. Yes. Yes. You know? I, I, and I think it's the legacy of that actually. Absolutely. That gave rise to, to Joe Casada's completely understandable comment about not getting cosmic in, in, uh, yeah, they didn't sell. because, because traditionally it hadn't sold and why would anybody want to try to do that? And I, I, I you know, I, so, so yes. I, I, and, 
uh, and to be entirely fair, one of the reasons I enjoy writing uh, Rye as well is that it's a, it's, it's a very welcome change of pace to what I'm doing for uh, other companies. I mean, I, I have loved, over the last uh, couple of years, I've been writing Justice League Odyssey for DC, you know, entrusted with some big characters. It's been great. It's cosmic, but it's, you know, it's like, this is a, this is a, this is a big DC book. And that's great. Um, this right isn't, and, and therefore all the story ideas and things that don't fit into the mainstream DC universe go here. And, and, it, and it's, it's kind of like, it's like mental health. You do one and that was great, but intense work. And then you go, you know, and they, they, they're a contrast. And I think the same is true of readers. Readers might love reading, you know, Spider-Man and Batman and stuff like that, but they, sh I think, that it would be nice and I think they probably crave to read something that absolutely isn't that for which they have no expectations yes for which they have no preconceived ideas about what it should or shouldn't be and try something completely new and there's lots of good stuff like that here, but obviously rise the best <laughs> obviously <laughs> now you um you have a predilection it seems for the cosmic for space for mm. the fantastic what about that element speaks to you or is it just that you happened to end up like oh just consistently speaking i i happen to be in outer space most of the time uh, yeah, <laughs> I, well i don't know I, I i have always liked sf generally although I, I i see science fiction as a very sort of broad church that, it, that goes across right into realms of fantasy and sword and sorcery and also into very contemporary stuff that doesn't apparently isn't apparently science fiction but really really is right speculative and stuff like that. so so it's a very wide-ranging thing i do think obviously i'm british and i think that, that we don't have to, to anything like the same level we do have it but we don't have it to the same level a tradition of costumed superheroes as being our mainstream we mm. have a much greater bias towards uh, either science fiction heroes you know, Judge Dredd, that kind of thing, that down there, or to to sort of real world action and adventure heroes, which was the mainstay of, of the comics industry in the UK for years and years and years. Yeah. So I think I grew up reading those sorts of things. And I, I remember vividly reading my first superhero, American superhero comics and going, what the hell is this? Loving it, but just going, I have no frame of reference to what this is. It's a very strange thing. So I think I carry those things with me. I, I have no problems at all writing any, I mean, I'm happily write a sort of vigilante, superhero great it doesn't have to be in space or any of those sorts of things but i have no problem at all writing a superhero character um because i completely am in that mindset but at the same time sometimes i look at a, 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 a superhero the american mainstream superhero and go it's a bit weird that that guy's just wearing a you know cat suit and he's running around you know it's a bit strange does he have right. to you know and and i so to me the cosmic superheroes in, in, in what we might describe as the American sense, uh, Nova, Guardians of the Galaxy, that sort of thing, Justice League Odyssey, to me, they're not wearing costumes. Costumes, it's they're like They're wearing uniforms. uniforms. <laughs> yeah. And, or they're wearing whatever apparatus they need to survive in an alien environment. And it happens to look... Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it happens to have... It has, it's got emblems and icons and stuff like that. And to me, that once you do that, you're going, oh, that, oh, wait a minute, that's all working for me now. It's, you know, sort of... Uh, Green Lantern's costume is is no more a costume than Dan Dare's spacesuit or or Joe Dredd's, you know, uniform. uniform of office. And once you've got that in your head, so I think I think it it ties into uh, a particular maybe a particularly British way of looking at it. To, 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 you know, mm. to, to, the, the sort of the sort of genre influences that we're exposed to over here, or were certainly not so much now because it is global and universal. And I think yeah. it's also got a bit of. I think you can get into areas of dare I say. Um, 
sort of satire and politics because it's in space that you couldn't do in a in a real world story uh and and almost do it without not because i desperately want to you know sort of make some political manifesto but you can talk about these sorts of things without risk of kind of offending anybody or or, or mucking about with you. you can just you can just you can just explore something sure uh, without without sort of immediately alienating half of your audience or whatever it's the star trek effect like everyone that, likes precisely yes yeah yeah everyone likes up, these I characters star trek i grew up watching doctor who so so you know that's that's that's, that's uh, I'm very used to seeing those sort of forms of presentation for really interesting ideas and stories, um, yet they somehow were completely made up, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, apropos of uh, science fiction, um, I wanted to ask, a, it, this is more for me than it is for the audience, but you're welcome to come along. Um, uh, when During the Rebirth panel at WonderCon, uh, going back a ways, uh, you were part of that collective mm-hmm. of uh, of creators that they paraded on stage and said look at what we're going to do and uh you were on aquaman amazing book by the way Thank uh, you. great stuff but also completely different another one of those titles it's like it's not space it's not you know it, it's but it is kind of it is otherworldly right because the book to, is to me it's 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 cosmic it falls under the same category because it's you know it's an alien society with alien ways of doing things but yeah, yes i take your point absolutely yeah but i do but that but the the blend and the end of the, the the kind of like door kicking of the opening of like, no, we're going to deal with the Atlantis human like earth surface world right now. We're going to deal with that right now. Great stuff. Um, but I, uh, I, I got a chance to talk to you uh, one-on-one and I said, thanks a lot for Terminator. Uh, the, uh, the, f- <laughs> the old book from God knows what publisher that was when it was out. Uh, yes. I, uh, right. Was it Malibu? It was either Ma- yes, I think it was. I'll keep wanting to say Dark Horse, but I don't think they had the license at the time. They didn't have it back then. Well, they had they had another Terminator license. This was Terminator Two. Yes, you know, Cybernetic Dawn. Cybernetic Dawn. Yes. Yeah. Can Can you because I have you here? Can you tell me what were the origins of that project? And did you like? Did you have fun doing a Terminator story? I'll answer the second part first. Yes, of course I did, uh, because it's Terminator, and that was great. Uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to write t- things like Terminator and, and Predator, and, yeah. and, that's, and the, the, you know, get a huge kick out of those because they were they were very very formative experiences to my teenage cinema going. <laughs> uh, and and Terminator Two, marvelous film, but I still prefer the original. Really. There's- there is a such a purity to that first film, and I yes. saw it. I remember seeing Terminator when it first came out. It was. It was. It must have been December over here. I can't remember exactly the time of year, but I know it was snowing, um, and that was me and my friend, and we were teenagers, and this, and we wanted to do something, and there was nothing to do because there was no nowhere to go. So we walked to the cinema to see whatever they were showing, and we hadn't we hadn't even heard of the film. We knew sure. nothing about the film, and it was like there was like three three choices. And, and whatever the other, I can't even remember what the other two were, we did, didn't appeal to us. And there was a film called The Termination. We went, oh, it's Arnie. Oh, all right then. And we were the only two people in a 500 seat cinema watching a film that we were completely unprepared for. And we sat there and we came out going, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Cause it was, cause it, there is, what I love about the original film, and it's true of the second film, the second film is, is does the same thing bigger with a bigger budget. But the right. first film has got this extraordinarily um, brilliant, simple logic running through it. Uh, and the best moment to me is the moment where she goes into the nightclub because she knows she's being chased. Yes. And uh, she she contacts the police and they tell her to stay put in the in the public place. In other words, she does 
all the things that people in other films never do and get into trouble. And, right. And, 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 but she still gets into trouble. <laughs> and I thought that was a magnificent uh, sort of acknowledgement of the tropes of cinema. The fact that you could still get great drama and, and, and you know an action out of out of somebody being sensible yes um, so so yeah so i loved it so being asked to do the comic was was great but to answer the first part of your question is g given that i can't really remember the publisher how i ended up doing it is beyond me but i do remember that i i i i, I really really enjoyed really really enjoyed doing that as i say there, there, there is that those, those sort of big action franchises um, you know sort of I mentioned just now working on aliens, particularly when I worked on the alien isolation game. Yes. Which, which was, I was just, fant I couldn't believe that I was getting to play with these things, you know, and that's right. Right. So. It was for, for me, alien isolation. Uh, the, the fact that when I, when I saw your name on the screen, you know, we're playing the game. I see your name written by Dan Ed, and I'm like, how often is it that such a logical thing occurs where, <laughs> <laughs> not to not to stroke your ego in any way but like that but the just yeah call dan abnett do a to do a friggin' alien sequel you know video game movie doesn't matter but like he'll nail it <laughs> and and you did and it's it's so compelling um it, it, it was it was a story it, like okay so with alien isolation since we're moving over to there a little bit sure <laughs> um how much direction did you have versus uh, like when they s walk me through it? Like, did they call you? Did you call they did. them? Again, this is another example of an invitation uh, that they, they, they actually were made by a games company that, that is about an hour's drive away from where I am. Yeah. And I got this email out of the blue saying we'd be interested. And I hadn't, I had done, I'd done, I do quite a lot of game work, but I'm not a gamer. <laughs> uh, simply because if I know my own personality, if I started playing games, I would never get any work done. <laughs> so I, 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 I've done various bits and pieces. I also worked on the things like the Shadow of Mordor games. I'm working on some games at the moment. Yeah. And, and I always go in there as the sort of, uh, um, the sort of the idiot who comes in and knows nothing about what's going on and therefore asks all the stupid questions. And sometimes that's really useful yeah. because yeah. people do things in certain ways just because they've always done it that way. And because somebody's asking them why they do it, it sometimes, it sometimes, not often, most of the time I just look like an idiot, but occasionally me asking the stupid question was useful. But with that, they said, would you like to come and write this? We'd, we want, us, want this game to, to work and would you, would you be interested? And I said, I don't know anything about games. And said, that's not why we're asking you. We're asking you because you tell stories and what we need is a story. And that was literally the case because they had decided that they, they had the chance to do an official sequel to the original film. Yes. And almost every game that had come out had been a sequel, as it were, to Aliens, which is also a great film. But it had, had therefore been shoot 'em up. It had been about colonial marines. It had been about the action orientation of these things, for better or for worse. Some are better than others. Agreed. But this is the first time anybody had gone back to the, the, the essence of the original, uh, which is not an action film. It's a, it's a survival horror story. Yeah. It's a haunted house story. And it's about claustrophobia and scares rather than action. And and they 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 were already building this this uh, ship which was essentially identical to the Nostromo uh, as an environment, and I was amazed. And they, and they say yeah, we we know what it looks like, and we know what the game experience should be. It's like basically you've got to sneak around and try not to die. Right. And, and the and the alien is driven by the game's AI, so it will pop up in all sorts of unexpected places. And it's about hiding and being quiet. And you haven't got a weapon. And it's going to be terrifying. And it genuinely is terrifying. The very funny stories of, of watching game reviewers come in to play the sample 
sort of 20 minutes of it and freaking out because it was so scary. Yeah. Um, but the, literally they said, but we want a context for why this is happening. Look, we're already building it and we can do this, but why is it happening? And who's involved and blah, blah, blah. And that was where, so it was the story part of me and, and uh, that, that they, were, they were getting and we had a great team working there. And uh, sometimes we would say, uh, we think the story should do this. So they would build the relevant bit for it to occur in. And sometimes I say, we've built this brilliant thing put that in the story and we go, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was a very enjoyable, very enjoyable experience. Now, personally, was it, when they said, you know, we want you to do a sequel to the original Alien, were you, were, was it like, okay, I'm going to have to like rack my brain. Or was it like, okay, well, hang on one second. <sighs> Let me just get the script I <laughs> clearly wrote when I was inspired because I, I feel like there's no way you're not a fan of the original Alien and that I, it didn't. Yeah. Uh, yes, I didn't have a, a, a one I prepared earlier to to, to pull out, but I, I did. Uh, you know, it, it, it was it was. I think there is great purity to the to the films, yes. uh, and and therefore the the core strengths and the core themes are quite easy to tease out. And you go, well, I need to do something that's got this in it, and I need you know I need these sorts of characters, and so it, it sort of assembled itself pretty rapidly. It was the the fine tuning that took months and months and months, and that sure. writing all the all the the dialogue and the copy for the for the the, the, the be hidden away in places yeah. but it was um uh yeah but, but there was but there was massive pressure because this was not a cheap game to make uh, <laughs> uh it's an iconic movie that you the last thing we wanted to do was do something that let it down plus it was uh it was the what it would have been it would have been the f- oh 40th 30th 35th yeah of lockdown. but it was a major anniversary of the movie yeah. And so one of the things that the 20th Century Fox wanted to do was to release the game to celebrate this massive anniversary of the classic film that was now in their classic ball with classic written all over it and promoted <laughs> as a classic movie from class. And it was like classics. And it was, so at one point I remember an executive telling me that they, they'd seen the game. And they said, the game is, uh, is spectacular. It's really, really good. It's really good. There was no denying the quality of the animation and the construction of that. But he said, basically he said, because of the scrutiny that's on it, because of what that film is, what that franchise is, and what uh, the year is in terms of its anniversary, the game needs to be better than just good. It, right. It's got to be better than it needs to be. Because the, and that was, it's like, okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. Oh, man. Um, was, there any, um, was there any resistance to bringing in Amanda? Surprisingly not, or certainly not that I was aware of. Uh, certainly not that I was aware of. Uh, we, 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 you know, I think we wanted to do. And um, weirdly, I think one of the uh, one of the extras that you could that was actually the biggest treat to me. One of the extras that you could play was just a playable version of the same environment, which where you could play the original characters in the film. That's what I did. Yeah, I have yeah, that. Yeah, That's yeah. great. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and so they said we'll, we'll do that. And it doesn't have to be part of the story. It's simply this 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 adjunct where just for the fun of it, because seeing as we built this thing, right. you can actually play. Yeah, and uh, and they said, can you write some dialogue for, for, for those characters? And I went, oh, great. So, you know, all these classic characters from the film. And I said, who are you going to get to play these characters? And they went, well, the actors. <laughs> and I realised I was writing dialogue for Sigourney Weaver. And, and, and I was, uh, that, yeah, so I had to, had to have a sit down on the couch and, you know, spelling salts at that point. That's, that's amazing, man. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, you you kind of nailed all the things I, like uh, you you nailed because I was I was ready to I was going to go from Terminator to Alien Isolation so I was like okay well no we did that um, I I feel like at this point you know you, you, there's there's there seems to be a little bit of a continuity where people 
people ask you now, you know, hey, do you want to do this? Um, is there a franchise or a universe that you have not played in yet that you're yeah. like, I'm just waiting for the call? Yes. Funnily enough, <laughs> I, no, I've, I, I, I was at a signing once and somebody was asking me this question about, do, do, do you not find it weird? Because I, let me start again. I write comics, I write novels, and from time to time, I also write games. And the way I do that, and I'm, I'm notoriously prolific, I you know, make no apologies for that. But the reason that I am is because uh, I actually think I do my best work when I've got some pressure of slightly too much to do. If I, if, if, you know, if you said you've got three years to write something of your own invention, I would never get anywhere with it. So I've always got things on the go. And, and the way I uh, keep those plates spinning is that I literally move in the course of a day between one thing and another. So I might get up in the morning and I'll write a chapter of my latest novel. It's usually Warhammer, but it could be Doctor, it could be anything. Uh, and then I'll then I might move on the afternoon to comic scripting, and the following day I might do a bit of game, and then it might be a, something for 2018, and then it might be back to DC, and then it might be Valiant, you know. So I might I move around, um, and people often go, well, I couldn't do that. A lot of writers have to do one project until it's finished. Sure. Um, but uh, somebody said how I kept. Did I find that difficult? And I said no, I don't. But then I've been doing it for a long time, so I've probably learned how to cope with that. <laughs> but I actually find that I not only do I do my best work if I'm under pressure, I also do my best work work if I if I remain fresh and if you write anything no matter how much you love it if you stay somewhere on something for too long you can get stuck on it so in the course of a week I'll do many many different things and the way I described this was to say I don't like to stay in the same universe for too long mm. which I am aware made me sound like a time lord and not a comic book writer um, <laughs> so I um, and I meant it um, so I so I always do that so I have you know there are very few sort of franchises in comics and stuff like that that I haven't written one way or another but the the it, it got to the point where people said what what have you written and I said it's easy to tell you tell you I have never written the Simpsons in any form not even in comic book form so there's that one in terms okay. of big global franchises but the one the one to answer your question is Star Wars I've written Doctor Who I've written Star Trek I've written Battlestar Galactica I've written but I've never written Star Wars and Star Wars is very 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 dear to me so so if anybody from you know the great thing that is Star Wars is out there that fancies me doing some of that I would love to it's not a case of finally ticking the last thing off a bucket list or anything like that but it really is it's always been that that elusive thing um, yeah so, that's shocking that you have you, you, like once you said it i was like oh this, that's right you've never really i'm shocked Wars. and weirdly weirdly there would be a beauty it would beautifully like coming home because because the when i was reading comics as a kid before i even knew i would end up in the industry yeah uh, i read the uh, the british marvel weekly comics and for those of you in america and elsewhere who don't know marvel comics in britain that were published over here uh, were published weekly uh, in in magazine size, so they were big. They were much bigger than the US format. Uh, they would be published in black and white, and they would be anthologies. So I used to read a, for a long time. I read a comic called Mighty World of Marvel, and every every week it would have like five pages of the Avengers, five pages of Daredevil, five pages of Doctor Strange, and five pages I think of the Hulk. And they were they were American things from about four or five years before. They were cut up and they were serialized in the course of the month, often with with, with new splash pages written, drawn on by British artists. It's the weirdest way of, of presenting. Yeah, That's what I was used to. <laughs> when I suddenly saw American Marvel, I went, "Wait a minute, this this goes on for twenty? What's it? It's in color. What's wrong with this size? It didn't make any sense." <clears throat> but anyway, I would read the Marvel. That's the that's how I got to read 
the 1960s stories when they were republished in the UK in the 70s and had that grounding in these characters. Yeah. But, but when Star Wars came out, British Marvel did a reprint of the American Marvel Star Wars comic. Obviously, of course they would. It was the biggest thing in the world. And it was Star Wars Weekly, which was, again, big size. And it, it serialized all the Marvel Star Wars comics in black and white. But it had her backups. And it was those backups where they'd gone to the archives to find any previously published Marvel material that had a science fiction element to it. That's how I read Star-Lord. That's how I read Rocket Raccoon, The Sword and the Scar, uh, Gulliver on Mars, all, all sorts of things. All of those things which would run as a backup, not because they were, for want of a better word, good, but because they, they could be put into, uh, into a magazine called Star Wars and it wouldn't be like, why have you got Daredevil and Iron Man in Star Wars? Right. <laughs> but to me, these were a revelation. I'd never read anything like it. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. And it was my enthusiasm for the characters I read as backups in a black and white weekly reprint in the 70s that led me to Guardians of the Galaxy. It was, it was, it, that's why I knew those characters. That's where I'd come across those characters. And, 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 and so I have, quite apart from the fact that I love Star Wars, I feel a sort of uh, creative debt to that sort of slightly shabby black and white reprint Star Wars comic <laughs> that I loved when I was a kid. Had a little, came with a free cardboard make your own paper airplane X-Wing in the first issue. I remember that. Oh, and, cool. and, I, <laughs> and I just, so, I, that, so that's the other reason. It would be like coming full circle because it's, it's like Star Wars, just in terms of the level and scale of its imagination has influenced. So it, it is one of those, clearly it's one of those films, along with things like Blade Runner and Alien, that had a, and Mad Max and The Matrix, that had a huge uh, impression on the way we thought science fiction should look. Yeah. Um, so it would be great. I just think it's been in my creative DNA for, well, since I, since I was small. <laughs> and, and it would be <laughs> nice to actually channel that for a change. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that's that's a great idea. <laughs> um, I just wanted to wrap up a little bit with, uh, with the question because we finally got to see at least some element of Rocket's costume from your run in Endgame. Yes. How fun, not only just that, but like, how fun was it? Like, your your Guardians of the Galaxy run is why Rocket and Groot are in those movies. Yeah, I, I, yes. It was very <laughs> weird. It was very weird to spend a couple of years writing a comic that I liked writing. And, and the editor-in-chief didn't give a shit about. Like, and nobody, nobody <laughs> gave a shit about, and it was full of characters nobody had ever heard of, really, unless you were a really diehard fan or you happened to create it sort of 15 years earlier. Right. Um, and then to go from that to a point where suddenly I would go out of my front door and walk down the street and there'd be kids going to school with a rocket raccoon lunch pail or whatever. And yeah. go, that's, that's weird. And I don't take full credit or responsibility for that either because obviously the movie made all the difference. But when I was told they were making the movie, I, like everybody at Marvel, went, they're doing what now? Right. You know, and, and clearly they wanted to do a, a Star Warsian scale thing and try something in outer space. And I think they also wanted to try something that wasn't previously well known to see how that would work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the movies and, and I... Because obviously the I mean the two Guardians movies and then the Guardians are in in the the, the two Avengers movies uh, and also uh, Thor Ragnarok borrows from some of those ideas as well. So I guess so so just getting a uh, with thanks to at the end of all of those films is yeah. amazing. But also to get uh, I've been invited to every premiere in the, all the London. Well, in fact, I've been invited to the LA premieres and, and I said, "Can I go to the London one?" He said, "Because it's quite a long way to walk." And, uh, <laughs> So I've got to see those. And with, with uh, Guardians, I, obviously they were filming over here, so I got to go on sets a couple of times and meet them and climb aboard the spaceships and oh, read the script cool. before it. And it was just unbelievable. So watching 
when I went to see Guardians, red carpet in Leicester Square, London, the first one, and it was very, it was so exciting. And there were all these really famous people, uh, you know, and, and got inside and watched the movie and loved it. And there was just this weird sense. There was all sorts of things appearing on screen, like Rocket and Star-Lord. And I was going, yeah, but, you know, I, all I've done is I've just been custodian of those characters for a while, but it's still really exciting to see them for real. <laughs> and then they started to do things like, you know, Nowhere, which I had invented. And I went, oh my God, that's like the inside of my head. That's, a, that's an extraordinary thing. And, and actually the... People at Marvel, God bless their cotton socks, the bastards hadn't told me that I got a screen credit. So I was sitting there, I always say and watch, watch the credits. And I was watching the credits going, oh, that was just great. That's my name. That's my name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, phenomenal experience. And, uh, and Chris Pratt's very tall. Really? Yeah. I know. Yeah, the, the actors are going to be smaller in real so life. So many of them are ti are tiny people. Exactly. And I walked onto. I was I was introduced to him. He was lovely, and and uh, uh, to Dave Bautista, who is lovely and the biggest human being I've ever met, and uh, and and Zoe Saldana, and 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 they were all like, "You're really tall people." I did. I th but you also met both the actors, I suppose. You anyway. It was great. It was great. I, I I rarely will have this opportunity again. I have to ask. When you have Rocket's dialogue in your run, he has this jagged speech bubble. Yeah. What was your idea for how he sounded? Was it that like he doesn't have vocal cords, so it's really like horrible? Like what, what was what was the sound? You mean because Groot, Groot you, yeah, you mean Groot? Oh, oh no, well, I, as I recall, oh, I see. Okay, yeah, no, okay. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like Rocket, Groot. It, it, I'm not yeah. even going to ask how he works. I'm more like. For Rocket, you know, he he clearly is articulate. He speaks, but he had this like jagged speech bubble around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Yeah, I was think just... it was. I, I, I think the it was. I think they've done a pretty good job of it. I, 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 I what I really wanted was the idea of it being it having that kind of snarl to it all the time. So okay. It, it was. It was. Uh, it was like, and it doesn't happen very often. But when you've seen, have you ever seen those like funny videos of dogs or cats <laughs> that can say a few words? Yes. And they're yes, not I really have. saying words, but they're making noises that sound like real words. And I thought that's how he would talk. Okay, we, that's we, how we, I thought it was. Yeah. In the same way that obviously Groot apparently says "I am Groot" all the time, uh, but he doesn't. But that's just what we hear because there's all the subtle modulations of his language, which means it's actually translatable. So right. yeah. It, it, was, it, it was that weird thing. So, but I think I think for from the movie's point of view, they've got it down because it's it's part of that. It's it's more his personality than what yes. his voice sounds like. Although Bradley's fantastic at it, but oh, I, think, I, you know, I agree. Well, in the cartoon and in one of the video games, I think he's Australian. Yeah, and then well, you know they're, they're, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know if I got Aussie from from the depiction, but okay. Yeah. But I dig, I dig. Oh, in my head, of course, they're all British. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I did that once, actually. I had to, I have to say, I did that. At, uh, I was at a, a, a Games Day event in America. I think it was, I can't remember what it was, a big event. In, and, and obviously, that's all Warhammer. Uh, and, and loving the Warhammer. And they asked me to do a reading of my latest Warhammer novel. So I went in front of this big audience and I stood up and I read this chapter. It was an unpublished, you know, here's an advanced preview of the next bit. I read it at the end, everybody loved it. Huge round of applause, it was fantastic. And it was like lovely, fantastic. And I walked off stage and, and walked out the hall uh, and there were people getting up and leaving. And, and there was these two guys and they obviously didn't know I could hear them as I walked past. And, and, and one of them said to the other, and I won't do the American accent, but with an American accent, obviously, because they were American. One said, oh, that was just great. That was just fantastic. And the other guy, yeah, it was really, really good. He goes, but was, wasn't it weird hearing it in a British accent? I went, mm. and I thought, he's written in a British accent. Right. <laughs> yeah. The only, the only English work that I have to assume is like written in, a, in an American accent is Judge Dredd. 
yes, I always, I always presume that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. How'd you like the Dread movie? Just out of curiosity. Which one? Uh, (laughs) you know, I'll go with either. Uh, Normally, I go with Dread. The last one, the Carl Urban yeah. one, because the the, the original, the Stallone one, I because uh, because that's again, I, I I've written Judge Dredd from time to time, but more particularly, yes. I write a strip for the Judge Dredd magazine called Lawless, which is about a female judge, which uh, which is, is one of my favourite things to do. I, I really love doing that. So I I, I I I like the Judge Dredd universe. The original Stallone movie was such a big deal when it came out, and and so much of it looked fantastic. Yes, but the it just kind of missed the point of what it was supposed to be and what was supposed to happen in it. In fact, I think Demolition Man is a more successful Judge Dredd movie it, than. Judge yes, a compl- completely. Well, it gets the parody. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the second one, the the uh, the um, uh, Alex Alex Allen, wasn't it? Did the, yeah. Did, yeah. Uh, even though it was more contained and and you know sort of limited, I just thought it captured the spirit brilliantly and it has some extraordinary moments in it. And uh, and if you if you are a fan of that and you haven't now gone and watched uh, Debs, the 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 show that Garland did for the BBC a few months ago, no. I can, uh, which is not action orientated, but it's 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 near future SF in the weirdest way. Superb television. He's a very talented guy. Uh, so yes, if for content, the second one definitely. Uh, but I did like seeing the Hammerstein robot and stuff in the first one. Man, that robot was gr- well. That's Terminator speak. I was like, that's really cool. Like, yeah, and and the suit is more in line with the comics. Like, I, I just yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of visuals that I enjoy from the first. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Um, but then he starts talking and you're like, nah. yeah. And they, what they tried to do is they tried to take the best bits of about four or five of the strip stories and make a cohesive story out of it, which didn't work. They could have no. stuck to one of them because each bit they visualized, they visualized well. But anyway, anyway, but yeah. Uh, so Dan, thank you so much for hanging out and talking with us uh, again to reiterate, um, you know, your 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 career is long, lustrous, and incredible. We 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 thank you for your for your service. <laughs> but uh, but but listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, if you haven't checked out Rye, go check it out now because it's available through your local comic book store, and I believe it's also go and order online. it. And go and order the tray paperback because tray paperback of the first as well. Yeah, that'd be that's great. right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the new one's what uh, August. August, August for both. So you can place your orders now. Yeah, I will say it's 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 a really cool issue. I read it the other day uh <coughs> check it out but dan thank you so much for for hanging out and chat with us um where can they find more of your work like where can they find more from you uh well i uh, that that's not an easy question i was on twitter for the longest time and i found twitter just ultimately very off-putting so i've started instagramming <laughs> which is very sporadic because i'm just working all the time and and i also weirdly i use facebook because that's you know like a dinosaur but i use facebook and, and, and for years and years and years, I've had two Facebook pages simply because I like to be a person talking to people rather than a, a public figure, as they call it. Right. But both of them have now maxed out with their maximum number of friends. So I'm going to come very soon. I'm going to convert one of them into a public figure page where I can actually have a lot more people come in and, and, and try and do things on it where I, you know, come along and talk and, and answer questions and stuff like that. But I, if you go to either of those places, even if you're not a friend on Facebook, you can find me. I'm either Dan Abnett or Daniel Abnett, because you can't have the same name twice. Yeah. But if you can message me through that. I always check my uh, message lists in terms of um, uh, uh, messages from not from non-friends and answer whatatever I can. So so those are probably the easiest places to find me. Great. I'll put links in the description, but uh, check them all out, and we'll see you guys next time. Dan, thanks Thank so much, much for being here. Me. Thank oh, you very much for having me. Thank you. Our pleasure. <laughs>